Back to Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve. And joining me today, uh, a man who managed to break not one, but two laptop computers. Stephen Coleman is back. How you doing, Coleman? I'm working on number three. That's good, man. I'm proud of you. It's, it's good to have goals, especially during, you know, COVID-19 pandemic. You know, you got you to gotta stay focused on things. So I'm proud of you for just breaking expensive electronics. How did you fuck up two laptops, by the way? Well, I only fucked up one, but I fixed it. Uh, the second one was uh, at work. I was it was on my desk, and a coworker of mine spilled an entire cup of coffee all over the computer. <laughs> oh my god! I think name really and shame, buddy. It. Name and shame. Sean just slammed down a book. He's so frustrated. Coworker. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was actually Hamrell. He was listening, and he just it gets really frustrated when uh, coworkers. Just act irresponsibly. Unbelievable. Fuck you, Hamroll. Get it together. That's a cat, by the way. That's not the name of his wife. Uh, so, Sean, what do you think? Is, is Eric Bledsoe going to have a breakout game? Bucks in five? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yep. yep. All that is going to happen. And this has been NBA Talk with Optimism Vaccine. Join us next week. Uh, Myros, you're here. How's the dog going? Did you settle on the name? Uh, is it yeah. pissing all over the place? <laughs> We have a name. We have a name. His name is Toast. Uh, That's good. My favorite POS. And, and you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so bartenders of the world are, are really pleased with that. Uh, did you choose Toast specifically because your mom told you it was a stupid name and you shouldn't name him that? Uh, not, not really. I mean, it, it kind of came out of that because she just started asking random people what they thought of the name, and everyone was like, that's great. And then uh, it just sort of stuck. <laughs> couple of weird uh scenarios that might happen with that which one first one that came to mind is somebody might think that uh you're playing mortal Kombat uh once you mm. start calling it toasty and uh yeah then the other one is if toast smells bad and you start talking about how you smell toast uh could uh, alert some people to the wrong idea well, you know, yeah, in my condition, that might be yeah. just as well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> He's, you're cruising for Who's going to last longer, toast the dog, or are, are you having a stroke? Like, what's what's going to happen there? I could not coin flip right there. I, it really is. It's, it's coming. <laughs> like, let's say that dog lives to be 15 years old. I, that puts you in prime stroke range, exactly. as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. As Billy Squire That's good. Said. We'll get a couple episodes out of you. <laughs> stroke. <laughs> oh, thank you for that. Well... Uh, you know, we, we've been covering a lot of serious cinema lately, so uh, I figured I'd derail any credibility that our podcast has gained. And, uh, boys, we're doing a multi-part earnest podcast. That's how you do it. That's how you get those big subscriber numbers that we need. People are just crying out. They say, hey, Jim Varney, that's what's relevant in 2020. This is how you get shit done. So we are going to talk about Ernest. Uh we're actually going to start just with his major motion pictures, uh, but that is not the genesis of Ernest. Ernest was around throughout the early 1980s, uh, a little bit in the late 1970s. Jim Varney is the uh, actor that portrays him. Are we, like, we're upon the 20th anniversary of Jim Varney's passing, aren't we? 
We are. He he died in uh, 2000. So this is the the year of Varney. At at a mere what is he, he wasn't even 50 yet. I don't think. I think he was only 49 maybe. He, he made, um, at at the oldest early 50s maybe. But yeah, he was young. Yeah. And uh, I think he, he passed away because he smoked like three packs of cigarettes a day. So uh, stick to one pack. <laughs> exactly. You got it. I mean, it's more like a. <laughs> but you were close. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. So he, he made a couple movies in the 80s. And then the Ernest character that he portrayed in a bunch of local TV commercials around the Nashville area. That was kind of what he was known for locally. So he made that with this director. John Cherry the third. John R. Cherry. And John John R. Cherry. I'm sorry, I forgot the R. Uh, John Reginald Cherry. And he John R. Cherry basically rode the Ernest train until the Ernest train got lung cancer and the wheels fell off. That was pretty much all he did. Um and I'm thinking like a common theme that we're gonna see throughout these movies is Ernest is fucking brilliant. Like his whole hillbilly charlie chaplin shtick it still holds up it was great when i was a kid it's it's still great now but it it kind of blows my mind how incompetent john r cherry can be (laughs) and also jrc3 he's kind jrc3 yeah that's that's what we call him in the biz he's also kind of a dickhead so he wrote the first Ernest book after Ernest passed away and it kind of feels like a cash-in. It's got like 200 chapters, and each one is like a page long, and the font size is like size 72. <laughs> yeah. So there, there is uh, one of Ernest, or Jim Varney's family members uh, more recently wrote uh, a, like a biography called The Importance of Being Earnest, and they're also making uh, a documentary that has a trailer but no release date yet, but that should be out soon-ish. But anyways, John R. Cherry writes this book, and it's full of all these earnest anecdotes. And the beginning of the book, the first thing he says is, yeah, I wrote this book about my friend Jim Varney. A lot of this stuff isn't true, but some of it is. Ha ha, I guess you, you'll never know. <laughs> so it's just like, it's totally useless because you have no idea if, if like any of these stories, like story, because he worked with Jim Varney for so fucking long, like literally their entire careers, were they were pretty much together. There's all kinds of great stuff they could talk about. So the fact that he decided that he needed to write this shitty book where all he did was make shit up. Come on, man. Like, it's just it, it reeks of weird cash in and, and self-service. So not a big fan of the JRC3, but I don't know. Anyways, gentlemen, we're going to start things off with a little movie called Ernest Goes to a Camp. Presenting the one, the only, the original Ernest P. Worrell in his first motion picture. Start Friday at a theater near you. Check your local newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. Ernest Goes to Camp is, I mean, it's the first like official studio Ernest movie, but it's also one that I remember renting about 6,000 times as a child. And uh, it was it was something coming back to it as an adult. Doesn't maybe have the same <laughs> magic. So uh, now... Sean, you're kind of like, you're our diehard Ernest guy. I know you own all these movies on DVD. So can you can you give me the lowdown? What What is Ernest Goes to Camp? Oh, God. Uh, I actually <laughs> recently uh, 
shed uh, my earnest movies in my m- most recent move. It was just one of those things where you kind of go, you know, enough's enough. And then, of course, you guys plan this uh, after, <laughs> right after, not in the last six years instead. Um, mm. But yeah, Ernest goes to camp. Uh, he's a camp handyman, and uh, he is basically like stopping this uh, corporation from taking over this land, buying this land, taking it over, uh, and gets into some interesting uh defense of uh indigenous people's land and uh yeah there's it takes on a lot for the first for it being the first earnest movie jrc3 and uh coke sams which is a a name that popped out at me (laughs) right away uh they uh that's a it's a very american name (laughs) coke sams it sounds like it might have been jim varney's uh pseudonym if you know what i mean and uh they really kind of shot for the fences like you know it could have it's it's a typical camp movie you know like it fits in with same uh structures as as the ones you're familiar with you know your heavyweights and whatnot but um not quite as polished not quite as varnished varnished (laughs) super dark Uh, well there's this yeah. movie kind of sets the standard for what we're going to experience, I feel, throughout this this earnest journey that we're taking, which is Jim Varney good, John R. Cherry the third bad. Because all of Ernest's little slapstick bits and, and his parts that you could pretty much pluck out of this movie and throw into any Ernest movie, they're great. And the the sidekick shtick with the two chefs, great. But the actual main storyline with the children is it's fucking abysmal for like nine tenths of the runtime. It is. The, I mean, the only thing that was consistently amusing to me is one. I, I tried to figure out who this camp was for because the one little boy looks like he's about six. And then some of the teenagers look like they're 23 juvenile. Delinquents. And then, yeah, the juvenile delinquents. And I don't know if you guys know this, but if you're a juvenile delinquent in 1988, one of the prerequisites for that is you got to be a dude in a crop top. Like everybody's rocking the Miami University look. Oh yeah, and it's it's fucking weird. Uh, and then the other thing that I really enjoyed about this, and by enjoyed, I mean it was it was pretty cringeworthy. But all the uh, the native lore that they tried to like weave into the storyline. <laughs> and wouldn't you know, they bring back our boy Iron Eyes Cody, uh, which is uh, you guys remember the the crying Native American don't litter commercials yeah, from the eighties? Not Native American. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, famous Italian American. Hey, don't put any litter on the ground, okay? Joe like, Scarpa? what the fuck? <laughs> Iron Eyes Cody, my favorite Italian Indian, just great dude. Uh, fuck, but yeah, this this one, it was a rough go for me. But I do like how it kind of turns into Mad Max at the end. So I, I don't know, Coleman. Had, when was the last time you watched this movie, and what was it like watching it again? Oh, this is the first time I've watched it since I was at least in my early teens, probably. So we're, uh, it's been a good 20 years, maybe even a whole quarter of a century since I last watched it from beginning to end. And it was one of the first movies I think I remember my dad 
dubbing for me after we rented it from like a blockbuster and like we had a second VCR as the first tape we dubbed. Whoa. So we had it like a pristine copy. And like I was just on that Ernest bandwagon from like the age of four on just because that's what I felt I should do. Like I just, I devoured it. And watching <laughs> it now as an adult, an advanced adult at that, shocked me how dark it was and i remember as a kid like it was probably it was probably my least favorite urn um just because it was so like uh, like there was a lot of sadness and a lot of darkness to it i mean that whole scene where he's singing gee i'm glad it's raining (laughs) (laughs) gee i'm glad it's raining like which according to imdb (laughs) when he sang that song he did it in one take, and everybody on set cried. I so you're a heartless bastard. So, well, I then, think that this is this is like sort of uh, just just to kind of put a seed in to something that we can talk about uh, uh, along the way. But that is sort of like one of the early signs of uh, Jim Varney as being somebody who is more talented than he's probably given credit for or that he was ever really given the room for, uh, possibly. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Well, and also, like, especially that scene specifically makes me feel like Disney really had their hand in this movie. And as soon as this movie succeeded, they just took their hand out and it was all just the uh, cherry show. Yeah. <laughs> With the exception of the fucking Lyle Elzado fight scene. Holy Dude. shit. <laughs> <laughs> I I love there's there's all these see this is the other thing with John Cherry is I think he would be better off as well if he wasn't making movies for children because all the interesting creative choices that are made here that don't necessarily directly involve Jim Varney or the Ernest character, they're all like deeply entrenched in 70s and 80s exploitation and action and horror tropes. It's kind of weird. So I, I mentioned it briefly earlier, but the end of this movie is these construction workers who are trying to turn this uh, native land, which has this children's camp on it. They're trying to turn it into a, like a, they're trying to, a strip mine operation for some fake mineral that they made up. And so Ernest and the kids in classic montage fashion turn one of the the buses into like a Mad Max vehicle. And then they they storm the camp along with the the two chefs who have a machine that just launches food. And uh, they just they just start blasting the camp with all kinds of shit. They drop turtles on them. They make a bunch of dynamite explode. And it, it just turns in this crazy, like Canon films, eighties movie for about 15 minutes. And then there's the, the fist fight, which is super violent. Like yeah. Ernest gets the shit kicked out of him. Do you think that's why Laya Alzado died five years later? I see. It's the only thing I can think <laughs> of. Like curse for Ernest gave him a heart punch in it. And <laughs> yeah, the three finger death punch. He took too many <laughs> steps after Ernest landed it, and he just dropped. That's that's the only thing that makes sense to me. I don't know, man. And but you see these little moments, and you get you get a little bit of it in camp, and a lot more in later films, like Ernest goes to jail. But you're like, damn, I, I just why don't you go hard? Give me a PG thirteen Ernest. 
because this is this is not what I need right now. Um, I don't know, Myros. What do you think? It it is interesting because Ernest at once feels like a wholly American creation, but it's so indebted to like slapstick traditions that it almost feels like we we are not the correct society uh, to appreciate the character. This thing's at times a hair's breadth from being like a Mr. Bean sort of thing. But, <laughs> you know, whereas that's like a, a still relevant, culturally beloved character and, and Rowan Atkinson gets all the credit in the world, <laughs> you certainly wouldn't meet probably anyone under the age of 20 who knows who the fuck Jim Varney is <laughs> outside of maybe boys from Toy Story. I'm loving imagining yeah, so. Mr. Bean saying, know what I mean, Vern. <laughs> <laughs> know what I mean? Well, this, you know what I mean, Finn? This one, more than <laughs> any of the other ones, is is interesting in the way it's constructed because it, it is very amateurish, but it also it, it hides its its budget by using the frame in sort of a very creative way. I mean, a lot of the gags in this film are just like stuff that is off frame, and and Jim Varney sort of comically miming this this happenstance in, in a strange way, and it, it's. They obviously are more able to fully realize it going forward, but it, it, it's almost more effective here at times. Yeah, because, I mean, you're right. Like, there's all kinds of scenes. The uh, the one where he's taking the kids on a hike, and then they're like, oh, you need, you need first aid. And then it's just smash cut to a scene of him wrapped up like a mummy, essentially. But it, they're not showing, like, all the intricate details of everything. And there's, there's all kinds of moments, too, where, you know, all oh, the turtle bites his nose and this and that, and then they kind of bring everybody in. And it's the, it's the same kind of setup where... They don't have to show each and every detail. And I think that's that's smart with their limited budget. But then there's all kinds of other things where you're like, what, why the fuck did you do this? There's there's this scene uh, early on in the movie where the delinquents show up and they're in the cafeteria and Ernest gets stuck in this cafeteria fight. And some of it's great, like when the Coke machine falls on him. And that's that's a good example of, of just you know, not stretching their budget and, and, and being smart with how they show that scene and still making it absolutely hilarious. But then they're showing all the kids in the cafeteria throwing food at each other and yelling at each other. And it's this like fucked up fisheye camera and all the kids on the edge of the frame are just like blurry and out of focus. It's like, <laughs> why did you have to do that? Like I get using the fisheye when you're, you know, close up on Ernest's face, you could see all the beads of sweat and the, the weird capillaries in his eyeballs. Cause that's, it's funny. He's like a cartoon character, but why are you shooting crowds of people like this? Other than you were just like, ah, it's not going to bother switching the lens. This is kind of go with it. It just, it feels rushed and it feels kind of hacky to me. It's expensive a, a lens, the Steve. It's, they got to get their money's worth out of the thing. Yeah. you know, it's, It really is. It really is. Yeah, it's definitely it's, that, that hiking scene that is, is the standout for me in this film. And this is, this is, <laughs> was definitely like my earnest film when I was growing up. I, really? I, uh, yeah, this was the one that I had in circulation regularly. I, I never saw a lot of them. I, I don't really know why. I watched the TV show, but it, it was one of those things where I always wanted to rent Ernest Scared Stupid, but it just sort of never materialized. <laughs> but I, camp was a regular in my household, and I, I don't really remember much of the movie at all, frankly. It was all kind of fresh to me. 30 years removed, but, um, yeah, all of the gags in that hike are, are really interesting to me. That stupid badger thing and, you know, mm -hmm. 
the knife in the hand and everything that is is not shown and you just think about what it would be now and you you just are like oh jesus christ thank god this was made in the 80s for zero dollars because it would just yeah. be sapped of any fun when they show like a cgi horde of badgers like swarming around the places mm-hmm. well and the story is so thin that basically it uses these gags as just filler but the filler turns out to be the the best part and you know the other part is the uh the two sidekick chef guys who are amazing so there's the the kind of portly dude and and he shows up in a bunch of other earnest movies and then there's this other guy with this weird like super affected faux european accent i don't even know it's just if you told somebody like, talk like a fancy person it's pretty much his, Sugar his accent. Okay. eggs <laughs> erroneous <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's great it's it's fantastic like it, even though what they're doing is just totally dumb slapstick, like the chicken pot pie thing where you're just like, oh, chicken pot pie, and they just throw like a rubber chicken into the machine and like a whole <laughs> pie tin, and then it just shoots out in his face. It's the dumbest gag, but they, they sell it so well. well it, I love it, how the works. other chef's like face when he's like shooting the food at the other chef is just like he's revolted at his creation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I thought that was a he's, good he's amazing. Bit of acting. <laughs> And then there's also something I assume their their ad lib flourishes, but there's another part too when they're when they're talking about the the eggs erroneous the eggs erroneous and Ernest is trying to avoid the uh, the the eggs erroneous and he finally takes a bite and and he's trying to run out so he can puke up the eggs because they taste disgusting and he's like oh did you hear that noise Berg there it's a must be a rabbit. And then he just runs out the door, and they're like, a rabbit, yes, that's the secret ingredient. And then the, the fat guy goes, yes, a rabbit with all of its shots. He's like, what? with all of its shots? Yeah. <laughs> and then and then it goes from there, and so that's just kind of like, it, it just kind of leaves you really, because you're like, what the fuck? And it's, it's hilarious. And then I, I love the puke scene, too, because... Again, this is, I don't know if it's a budget thing or if it's just smart because they're, they're showing less but doing more with it. But Ernest, instead of just puking out in the open, he runs behind this pickup truck. And it's great because you see him bend over kind of away from the pickup truck. And then you hear him go, Ugh! but then the bar flies over the pickup truck and towards the camera. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just... It's just totally ridiculous. And it's, it's dumb. It doesn't make any sense, but it's just... it's. It's unexpectedly hilarious, and it's the kind of thing where I don't even know if I would have picked up on how stupid that shit was when I was a kid, but I appreciate it more now. And it's a shame that all the stuff that probably appealed to me more as a kid, a.k.a. the kids' stuff, it's just, it's absolutely unbearable. It's it's like pulling teeth trying to sit through those scenes. It's fucking terrible, man. Uh, so the, the whole thing is just, I don't know, it's kind of a mixed bag for me. I, I have mixed feelings on the old Ernest goes to camp, not as strong as out. I'd, I'd agree. It, it, it's very strangely constructed because it's got a really basic, trite sort of. Again, it is a touchstone film. I don't know why we can't find it on Disney Plus. Come on, guys! Yeah, Distribute come on, Ernest goes to camp. Uh but yeah. It, it, do you have access to Disney Plus? Uh I do. I get it for free oh, okay. with the with cell phone purchase. Otherwise, I wouldn't have it. But it, it does not exist on there, unfortunately. Um. It's not streaming at all. It's completely unavailable. This is a lost. Maybe film. they'll put it under their like uh, new code 
protected paywall soon. <laughs> yeah. uh, one can Maybe it'd be like Mulan. You got to pay 30 bucks for it. <laughs> this, this really shows how green a lot of these guys are, it seems like, though. Because you take that most basic of, of plots and it, it really doesn't hold together at all. You could very... You know, there's a hundred movies that do this very sort of perfunctory functional thing and paste some funny stuff on top and make it sort of work. But this, the, the meat of this thing does not hold together at all. It's just, no. it's almost nonsense. It's like, it's barely there. It's very ethereal outside of Jim Varney when he's not on screen and we don't have our, uh, our Laurel and Hardy uh, surrogates, then it, it really starts to struggle, but. Yeah, the, the uh, I suppose it's notable that the second chef is not uh, Bill Burge, who is sort of the last member of this troop of guys. Uh, he is not in this film for whatever reason, but the guy who fills in is admirable. <laughs> yeah, he's good. He's good. Well, after Ernest Goes to Camp, uh, they uh, I mean it was a successful movie, did really well. So uh, Ernest has got to become a franchise, uh, as is as is the rule for any successful movie. You got to make ten thousand of them. I think. And how uh, do you? Real quick, I think oh, ahead, I think uh, Camp might have my favorite cover. It and does it, have that going. It's got the it's great got the box animated uh, cover. Yeah, it's all animated, so uh, it, it's a good cover. I would say, yeah, like if, you, if you're going to do anything with Ernest Goes to Camp, watch a compilation on YouTube of the best gags and then hang the poster from Ernest Goes to Camp, like the VHS cover, hang that in your bedroom. That, that's, that's my advice <laughs> for anyone interested in this movie. Uh, but yeah, it, it did really well. And uh, if you make a kind of shitty kids movie that's pretty funny and makes some money, what do you got to do? You got to follow it up with a Christmas sequel, right? In the past, there have been many traditional ways to celebrate Christmas. With songs, with gifts, with family and friends. There's a new way. Ho, 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 Burn. With Ernest. <laughs> Ernest P. Warrell. He's back. Know what I mean? Back to save Santa. Santa's in the slammer. Look at those beady, twinkling eyes. Back to save Christmas. <laughs> What do you guys think about the put the Christ back in Christmas bumper sticker that Ernest <laughs> has on his you cab? I were going to bring that up. <laughs> I didn't even I'm actually it. conflicted about his cab. Yeah, because he's got, he's got the, the Christ in Christmas bumper sticker with the camera, which the camera lingers on for way too long. Uh, but then also the cab that he drives is number 69, so super cool. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'm getting pulled in different directions. How do you guys feel? <laughs> I just, I mean, I'd watch this movie a lot. As a kid, and I never noticed that till just now. Even when we rewatched Ernest Goes to Ernest Saves Christmas way back in what was it, like episode four, like six years ago? <laughs> it's a long time ago. Yeah. And I didn't even yeah. remember seeing it then, but now it's just like, it just stood out at me. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and it's mm. just, yeah, it's a very conflicting message because, I mean, Christ is never brought up in the entire film. It's all about Santa. Yeah. Which, and, and, oh God, this fucking movie. So this is another problem. This has, this is like all the problems with camp sort of magnified, but also there's some amazing earnest gags again. So it all sort of balances out. But this is one of the like most hokey bullshit children's Christmas movies I have ever seen in my entire life. And it is absolutely infuriating when it goes into family mode. Uh, I, 
again, I even though I, I watched this as a kid and then we, we watched it, yeah, whatever, six years ago for like episode four, I, I don't remember shit about this movie. And it was not not an entirely pleasant experience. But it is the first time in a theatrically released Ernest movie that we get introduced to uh, Vern, who is famous from the line, of course. Hey, Vern! Which, you know, Ernest says throughout the commercials and, and I everything. I believe we'll find out going forward. I think it's the only time we see him in the cinematic universe, which is crazy yeah, to me yeah. that Ernest is so tied to this Vern character from all those, like, shitty commercials in Nashville from the early 80s that we still think mm-hmm. of Ernest, well, and obviously the TV series. But, like, this is the... I actually think that this almost makes Ernest Saves Christmas non-canon in the Ernest Hoover. <laughs> um, it's the titular Vern in the first piece of visual uh, lore. Ernest lore. Know what I mean, Vern? <laughs> know what I mean? Hey, Vern, it's my family album. <laughs> well, it's it's just weird, too, because, I mean... If you were to associate a single joke slash line of dialogue with Ernest as a character, like if, if I went up to someone who was over the age of 25 and I said, give me an Ernest impersonation, what would they probably they'd probably go? Know what I mean, Vern? Like, that's just what you say. But like you said, he, this is the only time that he's really featured prominently in, in any of the movies. And it's too bad because that that scene, the Vern scene, is easily for me the best thing in the entire Christmas movie. Like it's, it's a fun gag because as an audience, we never see Vern. Vern is the camera, you know, and Ernest is just talking directly to us, Vern, the fourth wall, whatever. Um, and it's all just this like long take, just totally fucking up Vern's house, ripping the electric, <laughs> the electrical wire out of the wall, trying to plug in a TV. And that's, that's the whole shtick is it's basically, uh, it's kind of like Wilson on Home Improvement, but just taken to an insane degree. You know, this isn't someone you see, and then Ernest's entire purpose in Vern's life is just fucking up his life, and Vern is slamming the door in his face, and Ernest comes in with a Christmas tree, he's fucking smashing everything. It's great. It's it's a hilarious gag. It, and then, God, when Ernest takes the punch bowl off of Vern's table <laughs> and just slowly... <laughs> just slurps from it like a maniac it's so good and because because Ernest is doing this directly to the camera and he has to get like an inch away from it and this is another thing too why if you're gonna watch some Ernest movies make sure you watch in high depth because you want to see every imperfection every drop of sweat every piece of spittle on Ernest's face when he does these disgusting close-ups it's it's great stuff it's really good it's amazing they never went back to that well for me because th- that is like the standout of the three uh, big theatrical <laughs> movies we watch. Like that POV mm-hmm. uh, scene is, is incredible. It's hilarious stuff. Like it, it just yeah. works on every level. And I I like this movie. I think more than more than the rest of you guys do. I, I thought it was. It's not again. It's not really one I grew up on. But I I feel like the rote plot is at least functional here it, it it holds together it's not uh for adults it's it's very hallmark channel but it is it, yeah. it, it works it functions as a film but it also well, it, introduces a lot of aspects of uh Ernest that he came to be known for it's, it's got a lot more like varney characters you know Ernest is playing several roles in this one and it's got that that standout scene 
again, it's like him developing a bit more um, of his repertoire comedically, but um, it just is so. I mean, it, it and it, it's funnier, I think, than camp. But it, it it's it's just uh, the Christmas stuff is just it's really hard to watch as an adult. It doesn't doesn't make it fun to to watch to revisit. Uh, it's just like so syrupy and like the the Santa character is just like uh, just like so inoffensive in a way that's just kind of I don't I don't, mm-hmm. don't want to watch that a little too fit to be yeah. a Santa by the way he, he yeah look, that's he, yeah he looks it's pretty like, true uh, current day Bob Weir <laughs> <laughs> well I like to think because the whole thing is he's he's getting old and he needs to retire as Santa and he's like losing his like mental faculties and shit so. I'm hoping like he's withering away as an old person and like he's, he's <laughs> actually just dying. So kind of gives it a little darker twist. But uh, so this is the, the Christmas movie that your family is afraid to watch because they're afraid of loving Ernest. OK, there is. And I'm not saying that this is a great movie by any stretch or even a good one. And, and the Christmas stuff, just the general Christmas syrupy hokiness of the whole thing is is the worst part. But this is functionally no different and no worse than Elf, than the Santa Claus, than any of these movies where the entire setup is, wouldn't it be funny if Santa had a breakdown and then he had to get a replacement? There's been like a thousand Christmas movies like that. Pretty much. And this is this is no different. It's it's the same shit, but you get Ernest, so it's better. But again, your family fears Ernest. Yeah, it has like five scenes from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation like spliced into a, a hokier film and... It, it's and those funny. came yeah, out the same year, right? Uh yeah, nineteen ninety. So. It is the same year. Fighting for those box office receipts, Chevy Chase and Jim Varney, <laughs> both masters of slapstick. The the other thing this this kind of drove me nuts, and I almost respect it as a joke, just because it irritated me so much. And and thinking back on it now, I'm like, okay, maybe that was a better gag than I expected, but. There, there's this whole thing where Santa Claus shows up and he's he's trying to find his his replacement Santa Claus, and he, you know, he's like, oh, I'm Santa Claus, and the cops arrest him because they think he's just a crazy old man, and um, he tells everyone, oh, I'm Santa Claus, I'm Santa Claus, I'm Santa Claus. They're like, what's your name, buddy? We need to know your real name so we can book you. And he's like, I'm Santa Claus, and then, all right, we'll put you down as John Doe, you piece of shit. Like this whole thing throughout the entire movie. That's it. I'm Santa Claus. That's that's his whole... Steve, they put him down as Mr. Santos. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Eventually, yeah. Eventually, someone calls him Mr. Santos. Yeah, yeah. So they put him, they put him down as that eventually. Yeah, Morton Downey Jr. Constantly. Oh, yeah. But then at the end, he uh, there's there's this like librarian that he's kind of horny for. And she's like, hey, what are you doing? It's Christmas and I'm old, so I don't have a family. And he's just like, I'm saying I don't have a family either. And they kind of lock arms and she's like, so what should I call you? And he's like, well, you know, a long time ago, people used to call me Jimmy Williams or something. (laughs) It's just like some plain ass name. It's like you've had a real name this entire time. And yet you have chosen to simply refer to yourself as Santa Claus when that's clearly like that's your job. That's just that, that'd be like me getting arrested for being a vagrant and just being like, "I'm podcaster." No, no, <laughs> Jimmy Williams. What the fuck you say? Your boring this ass would name be is much better I, payoff if he was like, "Yeah, my name's Santos." 
No, that see that would be better. The librarian played by uh, legendary Billy Bird. Billy, what? Yeah, what is she? What else is she in? Oh man, because I know I've seen her in like a she's million in movies, tons of John Hughes movies. Uh, from Home Alone, she's the uh, she won't buy Catherine Hare's earrings because she's got a whole shoe box full of them, dangly ones. <laughs> there we yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I remember her from. Thank you, Cole. That's that's what I needed. Good scene. And then um. The the elves, I recognize them from somewhere too. I, I feel like they're just like older little people that have been cast in a million different things, but I swear to god I've I've seen them in a, like a gazillion different B movies. But they, they stuck out to me too. Um but yeah, I, I don't know what this one the other the other thing I will give it credit for though is uh the the, the snake handler scene where they're trying to break into a movie set to get the new Santa Claus, and they have to bring the old Santa Claus in, and it's a, it's a whole thing, but you get this great line. I got a truckload of snakes. <laughs> so Ernest the Snake Handler is... That's another another all-timer character for him, I'd say. I, I love that. It, 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 the payoff's so ridiculous, too. <laughs> they just come out and like, oh, you're the Snake Handler. It's fucking hurl a shitload of snakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then we just get like a classic, like Ernest, like <laughs> all the good stuff, all the good stuff. Gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah, none of this stuff. None of this. <laughs> it's not, nothing worth laughing over. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. This this one kind of fell flat for me. But the good thing is, if you guys don't mind me moving on, we get to what I no. would say so far. And what, what I would assume is the filet of the entire Ernest filmography. And uh, that's this little number here. From Touchstone Pictures, something shocking has happened to Ernest P. Warren. I'm magnetic! <laughs> and now he's attracting trouble like never before. Are you all right? Just fine, thank you. He's attracting attention. I recommend the monster. He's attracting danger. He's had a real hard day. He's attracting everything inside. Ernest goes to jail. Two thumbs up. Bottle. You know what I mean? Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Starts Friday. Two questions. One, why does the trailer for Ernest Goes to Jail not actually mention jail in any capacity and <laughs> basically makes it look like a superhero movie? And two, why is this the best Ernest movie ever made? No, it's not. It's not. Disagree. <laughs> I, I think uh, I think it is and uh, I think part of that is uh, the bits just have a higher hit rate here and um, higher bit rate if you will and uh, I think that the character well he gets to play three I mean obviously Ernest and then uh, the old lady with the oh my god she's great this. Is this the way you treat your mother? Is this the kind of abuse that poor woman must endure? <laughs> it's so good. And uh, and then Mr. Nash is like a evil twin uh, who pulls like a switcheroo. Um, and I think he's just like so good, like because that character isn't a caricature, like a lot of the other characters that he's that he does when he plays multiple characters. Um, that's just like a fully rounded. Uh, guy, and I think he does really well. But um, I think the standout is is the pen bit. Um, I mean, a lot of this, a lot of this, I just remembered like so clearly in my head. Uh, 
um, stuff like you know the the soap gun and and him talking to the fourth wall in jail and like you know reciting all these things but uh the pen bit in jury duty is just like really really just good stuff oh yeah the the pen bit is for me pound for pound best earnest bit i was i was dying i was like crying laughing uh so if if you haven't seen this movie stop stop what you're doing just just go watch it it's you can find it it's streaming uh, go go get the Blu-ray. I think it's actually if you, if you live in the Chicago area, uh, the the Music Box Theater is randomly playing Ernest Goes to Jail this month, so <laughs> that's an option. Is it streaming um, for free somewhere? I don't know because I got this movie in a in a different way. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah, you, you had it already. Uh, yes, yeah, oh, that's it. I had it already multiple times. Yes, there you go. Perfect, perfect. That's exactly it. Uh, anyways, but the pen bit—it's—it's it's another great example of not only what they're showing is hilarious, but what they're not showing just makes it better and better. So Ernest is—he's on—he's on a jury and he's in court, and he's—he's he's listening to these opening arguments. He's got a pen and a pad of paper, and he starts chewing on his pen, right? So he starts chewing on the pen, and then all of a sudden it breaks in his mouth, and he gets ink all on, on his lips, and you're like, oh, haha! It's—I it, mean, that in and of itself was funny. And he's like, eee! Or, or, you know, excuse me, I'm sorry. Oh. It does that whole thing. <laughs> and then it cuts away and there's more like lawyers talking and blah, blah. And then it cuts back to him and there's there's more ink on his face. So now he's taking pieces of paper from his notebook and like trying to wipe it off with the paper, but he's just smearing it on his face. <laughs> and they just keep cutting away and cutting back to it. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And then they announce that they're gonna go to the jail to see where the crime happened which i've watched a lot of law and order i don't know if that's a thing that normally happens but it happens and Ernest goes to jail and (laughs) Ernest just turns to the juror next to him and he goes oh boy we're going on a field trip and he's just cut his entire (laughs) face and his neck are just covered in ink and it's it's incredible it's so good so so good just peak comedy see this is what i'm talking about with like mr bean tell me you couldn't see this is like a fucking episode of that it's it's straight up like, oh i'm sure sh- i'm sure, sure it's happened it's yeah uh it's just it's fantastic it's fantastic i'm I, again i'm a little lower on this movie just because i i feel like it loses a little of its sort of down-to-earth nature this this movie goes big in a different direction um I, I did yeah. not care for the fact that he's suddenly like uh, living in Pee Wee's Playhouse or something, except it, it's made for like $5 <laughs> with cardboard boxes. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I don't, Ernest has never been portrayed as an inventor. It is not really believable as such. So I, I really did not dig that, that inclusion. And uh, I, there was some good gags to do with the electromagnet nonsense, but there was also <laughs> some... <laughs> real painful stuff in the finale with like uh yeah i don't think john cherry was really equipped to to handle flying earnest personally <laughs> well he definitely yeah uh, well here's here oh, go ahead well, steve it's just it's this chain that when like, i said earlier that i feel like Ernest saves christmas is kind of like out of this trilogy because both Ernest goes to camp and Ernest goes to jail there's an Ernest who is on the lower rung of whatever menial job he's doing and he's aspiring to be something else so Ernest goes to camp he's a I guess a janitor or a caretaker he's aspiring to become a counselor here he's the janitor or the 
custodian of this bank and he's aspiring to be a banker. Um, and I don't know if going forward we're going to experience that same thing. And I'm just wondering, is he just getting fired after each movie and going to a new job and getting a new goal? With a new <laughs> dream job of uh, like a minimum wage job of camp counselor or bank teller. <laughs> Ernest is a working class hero, man. He's he's just he's a member of the proletariat. He's stuck in this system. He's trying to work his way up, and the man is constantly keeping him down. That's what we learn here. Uh, but I, you know, I, I want to say too, I, I like all the electricity stuff in here because it's so fucking dumb, and it's it's hilarious that I mean, he basically turns into a superhero for a good portion of this movie. And the whole idea is he gets electrocuted, and his body has this power where when he gets electrocuted, he can. He attracts metal objects and then at some point can like shoot lightning out of his hands. So when he's given the electric chair, he actually it turns into the movie Shocker, basically, <laughs> the Stephen King movie. As a bit of an aside, speaking of Shocker, I remember seeing that like VHS in rental stores and it always freaked me out. And then I remember going to see Ernest Goes to Jail in theater. It was probably the second movie I ever saw in the movie theater. I remember when he's going to the chair, I remember my dad saying, don't worry. <laughs> this wasn't exactly what was like, don't worry, Ernst isn't going to die. <laughs> He's going to become a superhero. Like, my dad saw that coming a mile away. Yeah. Like, Remember yeah. how he had all these powers? Well, the electric chair is just going to make him even more powerful. What if we, we had, like, a director's cut of Ernest Goes to Jail where he gets the electric chair and dies, and then it just ends on a somber note with an end card that talks about how the death penalty should be abolished. Yeah, he had something coming with uh, Michael Clark Duncan. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Go ahead, uh, Sean. I was just going to say I should note that there's a couple frames here that, uh, rec well, anticipate uh, the work uh, called Powder. Mm. Yeah. I was going to say it's almost like a proto X-Men, like Magneto Man. busted out of the fucking super jail or something. Sean's just constantly thinking about Powder. He just, uh, you know, Victor De Silva or whatever his name is, that's his favorite director. So he's, he's always got Powder on the brain. He's really bringing back old school <laughs> Outback right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. These are all the classics, all the classic episodes from 2014. <laughs> God. Well, this, this movie had a profound uh, effect on me as a child. So because I was a complete fucking idiot when I was like seven and this came out, and I saw it, and I, I love the, the whole Ernest gets electrocuted and then has powers thing. So I was like, well, why don't I electrocute myself? So I had a desk lamp, and it was this old, like, 1950s desk lamp, and it had two light bulbs in it, okay? And one of the light bulbs burned out. So I was just, I, I took the, the, my mom took the, the old, the burned out light bulb, but she never replaced it because it had, like, a second light bulb. She's like, it's fine. It's good. Just, you know, whatever. And because my mom's Julia's child, apparently that's how she talks. <laughs> oh, it's, it's gone. And so I had this, I had this desk lamp, and I turn it on, and I was just like, "Oh, I bet if I take the the metal back end of this pencil and I shove it in the open, like exposed part where the light bulb should go, it'll electrocute me, and then like all these, like a fork will stick to me or something." <laughs> so I did it, and it just like <laughs> shot me on my ass, and I felt horrible. <laughs> So, uh, for all our younger listeners out there, it turns out Ernest Powers aren't real. Who knew? Don't fucking electrocute yourself. 
I will I will say, as much as I'm not like the biggest fan of this particular movie, uh this for a Sartain and Burge as their the other members of this sort of comedy troupe, this is a standout for them. Like this whole thing where he heads over to his yeah. neighbor's house and it's like fucking the guy's just firing a gun at, just at the breakfast table, they've got a shooting range. <laughs> it's it's amazing. Would, Those guys kill him. I wonder him how far movie. that is from his actual, like, personality. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you wonder. Well, I just, I thought that he was the same guy in the movie UHF, where Fran Drescher's interviewing mm. an NRA guy, and he's like, guns don't kill people. I do. And then he makes that really scrunchy face. I think it's the same guy. I'm pretty sure Bill Burge has zero <laughs> credits outside of Ernest movies. <laughs> Unfortunately, oh. not the same guy. That's sad. Yeah, he's got a real interesting face. You think he'd he is it. still alive? Is he really? How old yeah. is he? Is he one of those people that constantly looks like he's eighty, even though he's like twenty six or something? Oh, he's old. <laughs> he might be. He's eighty eight. Eighty eight years old. Oh God! Still with us. That's Come right. on to the podcast, Billy. <laughs> yeah, we'll have you, buddy. You're always welcome. Uh well, I mean, Ernest in general as a character, they they kind of had this weird fascination with firearms. So you get the. Uh, the gun that Ernest whittles out of soap in this movie, and then the the weird thing with the guards, and they're constantly like, you know, the old guy shooting shit with his giant like, you know, uh, magnum handgun. Well, and then Ernest also stops again with his index finger, and Ernest goes to camp. Mm-hmm. And Ernest goes to camp. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you go back to the Ernest commercials, I, I don't know. Have you guys ever watched any of the old Ernest commercials from when he was in Nashville yeah. in the eighties? So there's this great one. It's it's only 30 seconds, so I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play the clip for you. But um, it's this commercial where it starts off, and Ernest is just standing in like a garage, just holding a machine gun, just like staring at the camera, holding a machine gun. And what this is what happens. Hey, Burn! Look what I found in my daddy's closet. You know, I bet you this is from the big one. You know, WW2. Boy, I bet them were some <laughs> great times. I know, because I never miss Hogan's heroes on WDBJ7. You know, with Schultz and Hogan and Commandant Clint. Hogan's heroes. Weekdays on your hometown station. You know, Vern, this must be some kind of a cigarette lighter. (laughs) I know nothing. I see nothing. (laughs) But the the whole thing was like, it was just, it's shot in a garage. Like... And then we just, he's just like right around the time everywhere. where like they're trying to get kids to not touch guns inside houses. Exactly. This is like peak like gun PSA. And then he's just like, hey, a uh, local channel that's that wants a quick spot for, uh, uh, you know, whatever. F Troop reruns or Hogan's yeah. Heroes. Let me do some Tune gun commercials for you. <laughs> <laughs> just a different era it's- where they're paying some guy to fucking introduce Hogan's Heroes reruns. It's incredible stuff. I, I don't even, like, I, I can't even conceive of what the equivalent to an Ernest commercial would be today because there there is no, an, like, there's no analog here. There's nothing. There's nothing. Oh, not even when we were growing up. Yeah. I think it's just a Trump campaign ad. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, at this point. So between um, uh, Christmas and Jail, there was a, a TV short that, if I have seen it, I... I don't remember, but oh. called Ernest Goes to Splash Mountain. Yes. Does anybody recall that? I was yeah. hoping you, oh, somebody yeah. was going to bring that up. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> I remember watching that at a friend's house. Like, it was like this big discovery. 
Like, I never heard of it. It's like a bootleg Ernest movie, almost. And they, like, taped it off the Disney Channel, like, probably five years before. And I was like, there's another Ernest <laughs> yeah. movie that I've never heard of? And it's just him. And it's 20 minutes riding. long, and it's a Disney World commercial? <laughs> yeah. I-, I wonder if it's online. I'm sure it is somewhere. I oh, do it remember. Has to be. It uh, has to be. I remember him getting seasick at one point on the log, and I remember thinking yeah. that was very funny. He vomits in his hat, <laughs> if I remember correctly. I mean, it's it's got to be more widely available than Song of the South at this point in terms of you know, that that IP. So uh, I don't know if that one will make it to the Disney Channel Which either. Which is what Splash Mountain but... is based on, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's the whole thing. And well, now they're gonna. I guess they're gonna remodel it. Um, over the next two to three years, and they're going to turn it into a, uh, a Princess and the Frog ride uh, because enough people were like, uh, you know, maybe maybe Song of the South, you don't you don't want to do that. Like, eh, I guess so. Although at the same time, PC police, you know, these days, <laughs> PC police. That's what they're crying out for, Princess and the Frog, which is like one of the least successful. Yeah, that seems like movie. a very strange choice to base it right off. Of. Like, who the fuck remembers I don't know. that? Movie? And at the same time. I mean, people were like, oh, well, it's about time this happened. And then some other people were like, oh, no, how dare they? And, and the whole thing is, is uh, you're, bo- you're both fucking idiots because Disney just, they, they, they trash old stuff all the time. They don't care. They don't care about their, their legacy with anything. That's why, uh, like, you remember the, uh, the, the, what is it, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, how you could climb on top of the ant and it was oh, yeah. that cool, like, playscape thing in Disney World. They just fucking steamrolled it, turned into a Star Wars thing. It doesn't matter. They don't fucking care. Because they switch shit all the time. Lock it in the vault. Lock it in the vaults. Along with all the uh, Fox properties. You guys can never watch Alien ever again. Sorry, it's not going to happen. Uh, unless they put that on Disney+. Plus. Got my fingers crossed. Uh, <laughs> uh, last thing I want to talk about with, with Ernest Goes to Jail is the way this movie looks is absolutely fucking crazy. Um, I... I don't recall this from as, as a child. I don't remember it looking this weird. And this is the first time I've watched this movie in, I don't even know, probably 25 years. And the, every single jail sequence is shot like, like an Italian giallo film. It's just all these crazy color filters that turn everything just shades of red, orange, and yellow. And then all of the guards are wearing these pink, suits with giant shoulder pads what the fuck is going on i'll even say that i these... thought that that was weird as a five-year-old child when i saw it for the first time <laughs> it just it... looked very unprofessional yeah it... <laughs> and i and i feel like uh, that was excuse just like me a... john r cherry uh you're not giving our boys in blue here the uh the look they deserve it's not the thin magenta line okay it's just very strange, almost reminiscent of like the Super Mario Brothers movie or something like. That. Oh yeah, that's exactly what I thought about. Yeah, yeah. and I also yeah. think maybe it's just like a byproduct of it being like this late '80s, early '90s, um, just trying to get like that little bit of MTV appeal that was still kind of around. Like neon was still like mm-hmm. a big thing, and just to make it appear more stylistic and more of the times. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. It's certainly the boldest choice John R. Cherry the Third has ever made in a movie, as far as I know. It's uh, it's a look, man. You haven't it's, seen Doctor Otto yet. Uh, that's true. I have not seen that. <laughs> but 
for our, uh, our our listeners, if you if you subscribe to the Patreon, then you will get the uh, the bonus episode when that's released soon. So keep your eyes peeled, folks. Give us your money. Uh, all right, guys. Anything else you want to say about Ernest Goes to Jail or the uh, Ernest series so far? Uh, Myros, how excited are you for the racial politics of Ernest Goes to Africa? Uh, you know, Sartain is gone after this. After uh, jail, it's gonna. It's this gonna be a big hole to fill. The guy. The guy is a killer. He's the best slapstick person outside of Varney himself. It's gonna be a hard yeah. to replace him. He is. He's he's genuinely great. Genuinely great. Uh, Coleman, any final Ernest thoughts for us here? Uh, do you just want to plug for Ernest Goes to Camp? Um, what I didn't get to talk about earlier is that there's a lot of class and racial politics in this film, and I think it's perfect for these times. You get the uh, the kids who are at camp that look like they're 23, year, 23 years old. It's a kayak, airhead. Like, I think those are basically the Trump brothers <laughs> holding everybody else down. And the racist camp counselor who breaks his legs from falling into the water. Mm-hmm. Fuck him. That's true. So I think it's the Fuck most that guy. socially relevant Ernest movie you could watch right now. Well, you know. <laughs> it's a movie for our times. Yeah, I think it's very poignant that the, the Trump brothers there uh, ended up joining with Ernest in the underprivileged, much like is, is going to occur here in 2020, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and also keep in mind that Ernest doesn't get shot by the villain because he's white. So that's that's the other thing that's going on here, too. Uh, <laughs> This is now. I, I think I think you're right though. Like it's, it, politically, politically, it makes it it it's the closest thing that an earnest movie can have to actually like relevant, semi-smart, interesting social politics. So I, I don't know if it all lands, but at the same time, it's a kids' movie, so I don't know how much they were trying to do with it. And given the rest of the script, I I'm not surprised that none of it's that well fleshed out. But uh, like I said. Ernest is a, a working class hero. I agree that it actually tackles racism and classism in a semi-interesting way. Uh, it just doesn't do much with it because it's uh, it's a fucking Ernest movie at the end of the day. That's that's what we got here. Uh, Sean, remind me again why you got rid of all your Ernest DVDs. Are you okay? Do we do we need to have a talk? Um, I was moving, but uh, I was going to say for my last uh, tidbit on it. Uh, I do. I am curious uh, what uh, camp scholar Susan Sontag thinks of uh, Ernest Goes to Camp. Well, uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to read her uh, her diaries again and just kind of go over her notes and uh, yeah, figure that out. Comb for Ernest. Yeah. <laughs> Tome for Ernest. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, before we wrap things up, gentlemen, we got to put some shit over. So, uh, Coleman, what are you putting over this week? Uh, two minutes to late night. Did I put that over the last episode? I don't think I did. I don't remember putting it. No, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, two minutes to late night. Uh, it's on YouTube. It's a free series. It's a uh, late night parody show hosted by Guar Sidney O'Hall. Um, it's <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. Like it, it's a, obviously it's a metal punk themed late night comedy sketch show, and it's mm-hmm. incredible. Even if you're not into like punk and metal, I'm not really into especially metal myself but it like helped me through quarantine it's amazing uh just google or go to youtube search two minutes to late night and uh you've got a good eight episodes to binge watch and you won't regret it right uh myros what are you putting over this week 
You know, I, I, maybe it's earnest, but I've, I've suddenly found myself wa- uh, watching the things that filled my house between the age or the years of like 1988 and 1995, and I've uh, I've I've endeavored to rewatch. Well, rewatch. I've never watched the entire thing because I'm not insane. Uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. I've been watching. Uh, oh man, TNG binge. A, a bizarre choice. I'm not a big. Uh, Trek head, uh, but it is enjoyable. I must admit, uh, the cast is uh, very charming. It's a uh, it's a fun watch. I would recommend, uh, you know, maybe hit the IMDb, see what episodes are highly rated, and, and go from there. A lot of it is is very much uh, story of the week, so you can get away with picking and choosing the fillets. And uh, there are mm-hmm. some. It, it's a very fun watch. I'm uh, not regretting the decision thus far. Are you going to become one of those guys that like? Mid conversation, just starts talking about how I need to watch Deep Space Nine. Just apropos of nothing, no, I, there's a lot of those guys. I out really there. don't think I could possibly <laughs> sit through anything that did not have this exact cast that I remember from being a small child. You know, it needs that like I need that in <laughs> tolerate Trek. <laughs> does that wait? Does that have uh, does that have Whoopi in it, or is Whoopi only in Deep Space no, Nine? Whoopi is in TNG. Is she, is she next generation. She's in TNG. Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's good. I'm sorry. Memory's a little foggy, you know. Well, as, as a former Quaalude user. There we go. <laughs> Still get in the Whoopi soundboard, baby. Found a way. Found a way. Sean, what are you putting over this week? Uh, well, Coleman was talking about sort of things that have gotten him through quarantine. And um, I've watched uh, a handful of uh, Westerns recently and... Um, specifically the uh, Anthony Mann-Jimmy Stewart collaborations... Uh, I will put over uh, stuff like The Naked Spur, Bend of the River. Um, but uh, any Westerns really uh, is what I want to put over because um, it's just cool to... So many of them are like, uh, you know, travelogues for wilderness and, and just kind of like, you know, just the total opposite of sitting in your apartment. So um, it's been therapeutic. Cool. Cool. All right. Well... This week, I am putting over a 1972 movie from Elaine May called The Heartbreak Kid, which I finally got around to watching. Uh, It's great. It's like an anti-romantic comedy, I guess is is the best way to put it. But basically, Charles Grodin is a giant piece of shit. Um, who is constantly uh, wrestling with his own shitty masculinity and coming to all the wrong conclusions. And he gets married to a woman. They go on their honeymoon. And then he runs into young Sybil Shepherd, And he decides that he's actually in love with her. And he continues to be a giant pile of shit. And it's wonderful because there's all this tension because you're, you, you keep waiting for the, the, the big moment where like a piano drops from the sky and lands on top of him. Or Sybil Shepherd just, you know, slaps him across the face. He's just like, oh, you're an asshole this whole time. But it never really happens. He just gets progressively more and more and more pathetic uh, and the end, the way it does end, uh, which uh, I won't spoil it for you. Go, go hunt it down. Go watch it. It's, it's perfect. It's just, it's so hilariously pathetic. It's fucking awesome. And uh, there's this great dinner scene too, where he's trying to impress Sybil Shepherd's uh, Midwestern, like Minnesotan uh, parents, and he, and he can't stop talking about how Midwestern food is. It's just so honest. It's so good. These are <laughs> honest green beans and virtuous mashed potatoes. And it's, just, it's incredible stuff. It's so, so good. Uh, highly recommend that. So, uh, yeah, if you're listening right now, do us a big favor. There is a link to this podcast iTunes page in the description 
of the very podcast you are listening to. Look at that description. Click on that link. Give us a five-star written review. Why would you do such a thing? Well, one, you need to help us out, okay? And the only way to help us out is to uh, basically we got to game this uh, iTunes algorithm. And the more five-star written reviews we get, the higher we rise in the algorithmic rankings. And then uh, the more people can listen to us, the more people listen to us, the more things we can do for you, dear listener. Also, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com backslash optimism vaccine. There's a link to that in the description of this podcast as well. If you got a couple bucks to throw our way, it'd be super helpful. Uh, it'll give you access to our private feed that has whole backlog of optimism vaccine content and new stuff that you can't get anywhere else, including a bonus earnest episode that will be released sometime in the next couple weeks. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Please just give us like $3. It's not that bad. Three bucks. We're worth $3, aren't we? I think so. That's, uh, I mean, that's a dollar a piece. And then we don't call, count Myros because his contributions aren't valuable. Um, other than that, you can check us out on Twitter at Optimism Vaccine. You can tweet at us. Uh, if you have any death threats, marriage proposals, questions, comments, constructive feedback, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Adam Myros is sitting by slamming that refresh button, waiting for those emails to pour in. So please give him something to read. He, he does, he's watching Star Trek The Next Generation. Come on, give him something to do here. He needs, he needs some work. Give the man some work. Uh, boys, normally I would give the last word to Jake. But uh, Jake is, he's not on this episode. So I'm going to give the last word to Ernest. Know what I mean? 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 Know what I mean